Hi, you're listening to Let's Talk Chemistry, a podcast by ChemTalk. On today's episode, we interview Dr. Donna Hearn, a professor at the University of Pittsburgh and a professor of practice at the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Hearn earned her PhD in organic chemistry from the University of Pennsylvania. A lover of medicinal chemistry, Dr. Hearn studies potential therapeutics for rare diseases and founded the Empowering Women in Organic Chemistry Conference. We hope you enjoy. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Chemistry. I'm Youngso, one of your co-hosts. And I'm Jason. Today, we're diving into the world of better drugs, closely related to medicinal chemistry. Our guest today is Donna Hearn at the University of Pittsburgh. Let's hear more about her fascinating background. My name is Donna Hearn. I am currently a professor in the School of Pharmacy at the University of Pittsburgh, and um, I'm going to be moving to the University of Pennsylvania in the chemistry department in September. Um, And so I started as an undergraduate at Cornell University, where I thought I wanted to be a physician. And then I took organic chemistry, and I really loved it. I loved that you could explain almost every, pretty much everything if you understood chemistry. And so that really intrigued me. And then uh, I really liked organic chemistry. So I went to graduate school at the University of Pennsylvania and worked on the total synthesis of natural products. So really complex molecules that nature makes, but uh, we wanted to see, could we make them in the lab? And so we did that. And then I went uh, and started working at a big pharmaceutical company, Hoffman LaRoche, and worked on medicinal chemistry projects. And so that was a great way to apply all the things I learned in graduate school, you know, to something that was meaningful, right? And that was important to me to have it a, you know, to not just do something to do it, but to do something to have some impact on it. Um, And then I had an opportunity to move to a a different pharmaceutical company at Wyeth Research. And so I did that. I had had a leadership position there. We worked on uh, a lot of really challenging diseases like Alzheimer's disease and schizophrenia. And then at some point I decided I wanted to do something a little different and I moved back to academia. And so I worked at both the University of Pennsylvania and at Pittsburgh and the University of Pittsburgh. And I've continued to do that uh, more recently, mostly at Pittsburgh, where my laboratory is. And we work on, again, medicinal project, chemistry projects, but different types of projects. I love how she said we can explain almost everything by understanding chemistry. I'm an undergraduate biochemistry student, and I feel like I'm discovering the secrets to life every single day. I totally agree. I also wonder if Dr. Hearn's interest in medicinal chemistry stemmed from her initial interest in being a doctor. I believe they might have. It probably does. I never thought of that, but it probably does, right? The goal to really help people and have an impact, right? If you think about making a medicine, right, you could impact millions of people's lives for the better, right? Um, So I think that's really appealing to me, making sure that whatever I do even if it's a small thing, contributes to something that can you know, make, as, like, make the world better, right? Which sounds silly, but I think that's, that's really inspiring. I really wish they offered medicinal chemistry at my school. I feel like it's a major and a course I would love to take. Same here. It's also super interesting how she worked in two pharmaceutical companies before coming back to academia. Right. I took note of that too. She mentioned working in Hoffman LaRoche. Wyeth Research. I'm curious about her transition from industry to academia. Me too. Let's hear more from her. I had a job that um, that was 
a leadership job. So I spent a lot of time doing um, things like traveling to our collaborators, doing personnel things. And I was doing less and less science. Uh, I had to understand the science, right? I had to make sure the science was going well, but sort of the nitty gritty science I was getting away from. So um, I thought I really like looking at data. I like thinking about experiments. Um, and so I wanted to do some more of that. Uh, and I thought I could do that in academia. You know, the other, I had small children. And so uh, while working in pharma was great and I loved it, I wanted a little more flexibility, which you have in academia. Dr. Hearn gave us more insight into the differences between industry and academia as well. And so I know what people can do in the pharmaceutical industry, and I know the resources they have. And I know in academia, we don't have those resources. So to be successful, you have to choose your projects carefully. Like, what can I do that um, is not, you know, what can I do and what can I do well? Right. And we're going to have an impact versus if I was in a pharmaceutical company, I would have tons more resources, right? And I might choose different targets because they have to develop a commercially viable drug, but that's not my goal now in academia. So I can work on things that are a little higher risk that maybe, you know, I don't know if this is going to work, but at least we can try it, right? And then we can say, oh, it didn't work. And, you know, we can move on to the next thing. So uh, I'm still trying to understand how things work in academia because sometimes I don't understand it. So. But um, we one big difference is in a company in pharma, it's very collaborative, right? And so you're always working with people in other disciplines. And so I still try to do that, but it's not that common in, I mean, it's more common now, but you really are rewarded for being an individual in academia, right? You get tenure for what you do, not for what you do as a group. So that's a different mindset, I think, that... Um, I didn't really appreciate, but I still try to bring that to what I do. Um, you know, and I also try to bring the mindset of here's what, here are, just because there is a project you could do it doesn't mean you should do it. And so sort of taking advantage of the resources you have, sort of the time you have to do it, like what impact you can make. I think that's maybe a little different than, um, than some other people, but um yeah, so those are, I think, two of the big ones that I see different. I also, I didn't appreciate that I would enjoy working with students so much. Um, and so you you mentor people in in pharma, right? You have young, you, know, you hire people, you work with them, but um, but in academia, you get to work with with people who really haven't decided what they're going to do yet, right? Or you could really help them um, make decisions. You could help them. Give the, show them opportunities or give them opportunities that, you know, they, once you're in pharma, they've already sort of passed that point. Two different atmospheres for sure. Also in academia, people can have a more adventurous spirit and take on riskier projects. In the industry, people might lean towards safer projects. Right. And I'm super glad we have professors like Dr. Hearn who truly care about her students and want to mentor them. That's really important for the next generation of scientists. Now that we've seen her work in the industry, let's dive deeper into Dr. Hearn's research beginnings. Right. Dr. Hearn began her research at a crucial time for human health. There's one that really, I think, made um, a difference for me. And that was, I was 
fortunate, not fortunate. I started my career in the late 80s when the AIDS epidemic was just starting, right? And no one knew what caused AIDS. They didn't know how it was spread. It's hard to believe now. They didn't know how it was spread. Uh, all they knew was that if you have this diagnosis, you would die within two years. Um, and then there was this horrible stigma attached to having HIV. So I was really fortunate that I was um, worked on a project that focused on HIV. To provide some context, human immunodeficiency virus, or HIV, was a prolific sexually transmitted disease in the United States during the 1980s. The virus integrates its genome by reverse transcribing its RNA into your genome. Your cells then propagate the virus, which attacks your CD4 lymphocytes. For those who may not know, CD4 lymphocytes are an important type of white blood cell that coordinates immune responses in your body. So the lack of these lymphocytes can exacerbate other infections. Right. And during this pandemic in the 80s, we saw a drastic increase in public awareness, a rapid shift in public policy, and an exponential growth in HIV funding. At that time, uh, there was incredible collaboration between the government, between uh, companies, between academics to get things done. Um, and you could just see how fast things could be done. So it's very similar to what happened with COVID, right? And you hear, I'm sure you've heard the stories about how fast they developed these drugs. So it's very similar, right? Wouldn't it be great if the public, government, and scientists always got along? Maybe in a perfect world. So what impact did Dr. Hearn's early research have on a broader scale? And so it was, it was really a rewarding experience. The compounds we made uh, and I worked on, went into clinical trials. They didn't become drugs, but, you know, they helped other people think about, um, you know, how to make drugs. And it just gave me the idea of how, what a huge impact, you know, if you worked in the pharmaceutical industry, you could have, right? And so now you think about HIV is not a death sentence. People, it's a chronic illness. People survive forever because of those drugs and because of all the work that was done then. Amazing. HIV inhibitors were a hot topic back in the 80s and 90s. It seemed like every medicinal chemistry or biochemistry lab dabbled in the topic. That makes sense. With the ever-increasing funding, recently in class, we talked about an HIV inhibitor. Sequinavir, I think. Yeah, the name sounds familiar. It was a massive breakthrough in the field of pharmaceuticals. It's an HIV protease inhibitor. So essentially, HIV has a viral RNA that is transcribed into a long singular polypeptide. The virus then derives its functional proteins by cleaving that long polypeptide strand into much smaller ones. So essentially, in the presence of sequinavir, the virus seems to no longer able to form the necessary proteins for it to function. Isn't that cool? Let's hear Dr. Hearn's final thoughts about that era of medicinal chemistry. You know, while it was happening, I, when I look back on it, I see more like I really appreciate having that opportunity more than when I was in it. Although it was very exciting when it was happening. Like everybody was like, all right, Donna, what'd you do today? <laughs> but um, but it was it was a great opportunity. People were from all angles were really um, making a huge effort to to try to be successful. Wow. That was quite inspiring. Yeah, it just goes to show the importance of scientists and collaboration in critical times like the AIDS and COVID-19 pandemic. So, what kind of research does Dr. Hearn do nowadays? Well, let's hear from her. We have several medicinal chemistry projects, and we work with typically a person in biology or a person in a medical school who 
does the hardcore biology and we do the medicinal chemistry. And so what we do is we take, uh, we find ways to manipulate the activity of a specific protein or a pathway that we think is going to be important for disease. And so there's lots of different ways to start that, um, to optimize it. But we have to think about, is it uh, very potent towards this one target? Is it selective so that when we do the tests with it, they're not um, it's not affecting other pathways or targets. Can it get into a cell? So does it have these pharmaceutical properties that will make it get into a cell and stay be stable enough in a cell to do all these things? So there's lots of things that go into it. And then we get to work with our collaborators and they put our molecules into their systems and we get to see what they do. That's so cool. I love how collaborative Dr. Hearn's research is. If I'm understanding correctly, her lab designs these small molecules and other labs can test those molecules in their biological system. Exactly. The molecules that Dr. Hearn synthesizes can be assayed inside certain cell lines or animal models that are representative of the disease or mechanism that they are studying. That makes sense. At the end of the day, science is just an ever-growing model that is continually tested and tweaked. So the more representatives, the better. That's a great way to look at it. Referring to Dr. Hearn's most recent papers, her work on therapeutics for acute kidney injuries would be a great example of her use of animal models. We have a big project that treats that's looking for therapeutics for acute kidney injury, which I don't know if you've ever heard of. I'd never heard of before I started working on it, but it's a very, very common occurrence to people, particularly in the hospital. And it's really serious. So, um, but not there's nothing to do for it. Aren't zebrafish quite poisonous? Yeah, they have extremely poisonous spines, but zebrafish larvae can also be used to test the toxicity of certain compounds. It's fascinating. It kind of blows my mind that one day a scientist decided to test their compound on a zebrafish, and that's how zebrafish assays were born. Right. And that's only the beginning of Dr. Hearn's work. She is involved in many projects focused on a variety of diseases. We have a, a small project on... Um, a rare neurological disease, and then also one on a you know a bigger project that's on cancer. And so we try to work on things that there's nothing else out there so that we think we can try to have an impact, right? Or that will, uh, or at least move science forward a little bit. Even if, even if we never make a drug, we can at least, um, you know, provide some knowledge to the other people, you know, who then eventually could be turned into a drug or a therapeutic. Creativity and freedom Dr. Hearn has to pick and choose her pursuits makes academia seem really fun. Exactly. And with so many pressing issues, Dr. Hearn has had plenty of time to develop her methods of choosing what to prioritize. So what we do is we take, uh, we find ways to manipulate the activity of a specific protein or a pathway that we think is going to be important for disease. And so there's lots of different ways to start that, um, to optimize it. But we have to think about, is it uh, very potent towards this one target? Is it selective so that when we do the tests with it, they're not, um, it's not affecting other pathways or targets? Can it get into a cell? So does it have these pharmaceutical properties that will make it get into a cell and stay, be stable enough in a cell to do all these things? So there's lots of things that go into it. And then we get to work with our collaborators and they put our molecules into their systems and we get to see what they do. And sensing a common theme amongst Dr. Hearn's work, she focuses on designing small molecules that inhibit specific targets that propagate the pathology of diseases. Yeah, 
And as a medicinal chemist, a large majority of Dr. Hearn's time goes into designing these small molecule inhibitors. I learned about enzyme inhibitors in my biochemistry class. They often mimic the intermediate of a reaction structurally, so they maintain that specificity that Dr. Hearn is talking about. However, they are much more stable than the intermediate, so it's much more favorable for that enzyme to bind the inhibitor. And to add on to that, some of the compounds that she designs can also be allosteric effectors. For example, the compound that Dr. Hearn predicted to be inactive but showed activity changed the shape of the protein into a conformation that would allow for activity. These molecules have the ability to inhibit and upregulate certain mechanisms in the cell and or body. Exactly. Shifting gears a little bit, I also want to talk about another area of impact Dr. Hearn has worked on, empowering women in chemistry. That is super important. I saw that Dr. Hearn actually had a paper written, Medicinal Chemistry, Where Are All the Women? Me too. She actually shared with us more about that paper and her exciting work at a conference. So about six or seven, maybe eight years ago, I wrote a paper um, that said that was titled Medicinal Chemistry, Where Are All the Women? And the premise of the paper was medicinal chemistry is a great field, right? It's fun. It's exciting. You could have this huge impact. You get to travel, right? There's all kinds of things. So why aren't there more women in it? There's about 20% women, if you, regardless of how you count. Um, by If you count by papers, by just membership in organizations, 20%. So even though in um, people graduating with science degrees or chemistry degrees at bachelor's or PhDs, it's almost 50%. And so, the, you know, where are all the women going? Um, and so based on that, um, someone contacted me and said they were also really interested in this in this, this question, right? And we decided to start this meeting. And so uh, that person, Laura Callender, myself, and then we sort of reached out to people in our network and Mary Watson, who's at the University of of um Delaware is involved, Becky Ruck, who's at Merck, Margaret Fall, who's at Amgen, and Ellie Cantor, who is at the at AWIS, the Association for Women in Science. And so that was the, the founding group. And we wanted to, to have a meeting where we highlight women. So the speakers are all women. It's a scientific meeting. So the speakers are all women because we get tired of saying, oh, we couldn't find any women to speak at our conference. And so that's why we don't have any. Oh, but here they are. Like, we really not a problem finding them. Um, and the idea is just to, to build a community, right? And so if you are at a company and you are represent, you know, there are only 20% of women there, you could be one, or, there could be one or two, right? And that's very isolating. But if you go to this meeting, then there's hundreds, right? And you realize, oh, right, there are other people who have who are doing what I do and maybe facing the same challenges that I do, I am. And so it sort of builds a sense of community and belonging that maybe isn't there when you're back at where in your individual institution where you're, you know, your numbers are so small. And so that was really the goal. And then we do some different things. We have in addition to scientific talks, we have kind of workshops like things like how to say no, um, you know, or how to give a talk, just things that are a little different that maybe help people um, just develop in their careers or develop personally. So it's been great. We had um, 
Our first meeting was five years ago, and we had no idea to expect anybody. And we had over 170 people come from all across the United States. They came from um, Minnesota and from Texas, right? And so we thought, wow, this must be um, really valuable to people. We had two years of COVID where we went virtual, and then we had over a thousand people register. And because we're virtual, you know, they were all across the world, right? So people in Africa, people in Europe, people in Asia, people in South America. And so that was like, whoa, like there's really an interest in this, right? And we just were, went back to um, in person. We had our fifth meeting at the Amgen campus in California. We had over 300 people attend. It was virtually and, um, you know, between virtual and in person. Um, and so, and people just really enjoy the meeting because there's great science, um, but then there's also just this sort of sense of community and sense of um, kind of empowerment. That was the goal is like, can we empower people and help not only people come into our careers, but stay in there once they're there? Because that seems to be the problem is that there's a leaky pipeline. So, you know, maybe if you have mentors or maybe if you have role models, right, you're more likely to stay or think that you're not you're not isolated. This is such important work. I really need to check out this conference. For our listeners who are curious about the next one, it is happening in June of 2024. It's in New Jersey next year. It's at the Merck site in New Jersey, and we make a huge effort to make it really affordable to everybody. And so um, for students and postdocs, the fee is about $20, the price to be a barrier to attend. Right. And even for professionals, it's like a hundred dollars, which is not a lot for a conference. Yeah. Um, and we provide grants to students and postdocs, you know, travel grants. So we really try to make it so that anybody who wants to come can get, you know, can come. I do medicinal chemistry, right? And so the conference is all organic chemistry. So we try really hard not just to have synthesis. We have some chemical biology. We have someone talk about materials. Um, you know, we've had people really a big range of of things within the umbrella of organic chemistry. So it's a nice meeting. It's a nice way to say, oh, you sort of step a little outside your box because you hear about these other things that pe really amazing people are doing in organic chemistry that maybe it's not your little niche. It makes me happy to see how Dr. Hearn is using her platform to empower female chemists. Even as a guy, I can always respect being an advocate for those who may need it. Now that our time is coming to an end, I'm wondering what advice Dr. Hearn has for those who are scientists or students, male or female. Well, I think I said it before, right? So being in science is great, right? And so think of, I just think about COVID, right? All the things that were solved, right, were not solved by politicians, not solved by athletes. Uh, they were solved by scientists. So I think people forget that, right? And there's sort of a distrust of scientists now. But if you look back on it, right, everybody, there's few people who don't take some kind of medicine, right? And so just you can have this huge impact and there's just this great opportunities to do really exciting science, but then, you know, really help people and make a difference, you know, have them have a better quality of life, have a longer life, um, so I think people forget that. Think about sometimes the day-to-day -day stuff, like when you're a graduate student, is really 
disheartening, <laughs> tedious, right? Um, but if you think about the big picture, right, you, it's sort of, I have to get through this to get to the next level right? or to get to the, to, to the fun part. So I think that's a good reminder is just think about the big picture, not about the day-to-day and how challenging it is to get to organic chemistry, right? It, it sort of gets you to where you want to go. Uh, and then just there's, I think there's lots of opportunities and don't, um, and you may not know what they are, right? Or uh, there's many examples in my career where I did something or I was asked to do something and I really didn't want to do it. And I thought it was terrible and it turned out to be great. So I think the other thing is just take opportunities, right? If they may lead you places you never thought, right? And they may be bad also, but at least you can't really predict what they will be. So, Wow. I totally agree with Dr. Hearn here. Science isn't the easiest work, but it's very worthwhile. Yeah. And I can attest to that. In my own personal experience, 99% of my assets fail. I just remind myself, regardless of the validity of a hypothesis, my lab will still be there tomorrow and there'll still be plenty of research to do. Hey, you're not alone. But with that mindset, I'm sure you will be ready to capitalize on opportunities like Dr. Hearn said. Thanks, Yangsa. A big thank you to Dr. Donna Hearn for her insights on the big impacts of small molecules. Well, that's all from us. This has been your number one source for talking chemistry, ChemTalk. Until next time, bye. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk Chemistry, a podcast by ChemTalk. We hope you enjoyed it. For more information on today's episode and countless chemistry resources, please visit our website at www.chemistrytalk.org.